Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Good afternoon and Happy New Year to you all. Happy New Year. Can I just remind us all that tribes are gathering together this week? Uh, this is the first week back um, after a month or so off. So tribes are going to be gathering across our region. If you're not part of a tribe, there is space for you to join a tribe this term. Um, all you need to do is email Emma, our connection coordinator. Her email address is emma at laganvalleyvineyard.com and you can start a conversation and Emma will be able to connect you with the tribe. Um, can I invite you to open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. In the centuries after his ascension, filled by the power of his spirit, the church of Jesus grew rapidly. The church turned empires upside down. It changed culture as it changed lives. And yet, as it expanded, it also grew in popularity. And it began to buddy up with the movers and shakers of society. And as the church began to flirt with Emperor Constantine, its power was diluted right the way down. And frustrated by this turn of events, a Christian counterculture began to emerge as a bunch of wild Jesus followers who pledged their allegiance to a kingdom and not an empire they sought to return back to the Jesus way. They wanted to reclaim his lifestyle as literally as possible. And so desiring to mimic his time in the wilderness, these mothers and fathers, they withdrew to the desert to form small communities that were set on one thing, a passionate pursuit of God and nothing else. The desert mothers and fathers, they crafted a rhythm of deep devotion and right at the heart of that rhythm was reading the scriptures together. But not just reading the Bible in any old way, in community, daily and often, the desert mothers and fathers would choose to read the Bible believing that the same spirit who inspired the writers of the text, he would be speaking to them directly as they read together. They believed that this practice was like a portal into the presence of Jesus. They believed its words and its phrases were pulsing with divine energy. And so with hungry hearts, they feasted upon the scriptures. Centuries later, in 1916, something began to happen in the heart of a young 30-year-old Swiss pastor called Karl Barth. Europe was on fire. War was raging, and yet just miles from the German and French borders, in the neutral no-man's land of Switzerland, it felt to Bart like he was the first one who had ever read the Bible. As stories of carnage were swirling around him, he found himself drawn into another story, into another world, a truer world, the world of the scriptures. He had studied this book for decades, Growing up, the Bible for him was just another academic book to be dissected and to be analyzed. And yet he began to read the book differently during wartime. He began to read it not just for gaining information about God, but to experience a revelation of God. And as he changed how he read this book from being standoffish with it and just skimming through it, he began to read it intimately and receptively. And this book, it came alive for him. 
For decades in Europe, the Bible had been buried by scholars, by academic undertakers. But Bart, realizing, just like in the miracle of Jesus, that the child is not dead, but is sleeping, he took this book by the hand and said, arise. And for the next 50 years, Karl Bart would go on to show the world how to read the Bible, not just for information, but for revelation. Friends, Whenever the church has found itself in complex and in complicated times, whenever things don't make a ton of sense, and whenever it feels like everything is on fire, our faithful mothers and fathers, they have found themselves returning back to the practice of reading the scriptures, prioritizing it and falling in love with it. Believing, as the Hebrew writer would say, that the scriptures are alive and they are active. The church has found herself not just circling back to the scriptures, but circling back to a particular way of reading it. Slowly, savoring it, seeing word and spirit come together, approaching the book with a sense of anticipation that God would speak to us that he would address his people and shape who we are becoming in that precise moment of reading. Friends, at the start of a brand new year, it is fair to say that we live in complex and in complicated times. Sometimes things don't make a ton of sense and at times it feels like everything is on fire. And so there is no better time for us, the church, to circle back round to the practice of reading the scriptures prioritizing it and falling in love with it once again. If you're able, can I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word? Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse 28. Come Holy Spirit. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating and noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him of all of the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. This is the word of the Lord given to us so that we may know the love of the Father, may practice the way of the Son and be filled over and over and over again by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. You can grab a seat. Over the next couple of weeks, we want to put before you the practice of reading the Bible to encourage you to build a habit, to craft a rhythm, a daily rhythm of listening for the voice of God through his word. But we're not just gonna talk about this. We want to equip you. We want to give you all that you need to grow in this practice. And so as well as teaching over the next two Sundays around this, we're gonna gather together in smaller groups across the life of our community. Our young people are gonna be gathering in a couple of Sunday nights time to learn this practice. Tribes will be getting together in a couple of weeks to work through it because the best way to learn how to read the Bible, well, it's with others. 
We're also gonna be hosting a series of one-off workshops, uh, some of which are gonna be in our home, some are gonna be here in the venue, and I'll walk us through a really, really simple way to read the Bible every day. Um, The workshop on the 18th of January is already fully booked. Um, There is space, however, on the uh, 21st, Sunday night the 21st. You can come around to my place. Um, Emma and I will take some time to walk you through how to read the Bible every single day. We've also created this practice guide that will give you all that you need to put this practice to work in your daily life. You can pick these up today and the welcome team will hand them out to you on the way out. If you're here today and you don't own a physical Bible, we would love to bless you with a physical Bible today as well. They're gift bags in the foyer. Please just grab one on your way out and you can take one of those home. In this practice guide, we've also added in a Bible reading plan for the whole year so you're able to use this every single day. Now, We're not giving you all of this and we're not doing all of this just to give you another New Year's resolution to add to the list. By the way, this Friday, Friday 13th, is Quitters Friday. Just be aware of that. It is a thing. Trust me, it is totally a thing. Um, This rhythm, it isn't just for a new year. It is for every single day of your lives. Actually, it is for the whole length of your lives. Whenever Jesus calls us to follow him, Ultimately, he's asking us to imitate him, to do the same things that he did to adopt his overall lifestyle. Discipleship is essentially three things. Jesus drawing us into his presence, him showing us how to live every day, and then inviting us to go and do likewise. Through discipleship, his values become our values, his habits become our habits, his rhythms become our rhythms. And whenever we look at the life of Jesus, it is so clear that one of his values, one of his habits, and one of his rhythms was devotion to the word of God. Fleming Rutledge puts it like this. There are many things that we do not know about Jesus, but of this we can be sure. His mind and his heart were shaped by intimate, continuous interaction with the scriptures. Jesus's life was immersed in the Bible. The question is, what does that actually look like? Now, I don't think it's a stretch to say that Jesus's immersion into the life of the scriptures is as deep, sorry, was as deep as our immersion in media, social media, advertising, or basically anything to do with a screen today. We are in so deep in this world that we're completely unaware of it. This is the world that we inhabit daily. It is held together by micro habits. Our attention is constantly grabbed and our imaginations are being shaped by this screen world. But for Jesus, he was swimming in the deep end of the story of God. And all of this came down to an intimate and continuous interaction with the scriptures. Let me say it again. Disciples are invited to do the same things as Jesus did. His habits becoming our habits, his rhythms becoming our rhythms. And so just like Jesus, our lives are to be marked by an intimate and continuous interaction with scriptures. And yet you know, and I know, I definitely know, that sustaining an intimate and continuous interaction with the scriptures can be a bit of a struggle, right? It's so often the case that there is no rhythm to our Bible reading. It's all haphazard, it's all fits, and it's all starts. And why is that? Well, of course there's busyness, of course there's distraction, and yes, of course, there are tricky parts of the Bible, but we struggle and stumble over the scriptures, not able to build a rhythm. 
Because, well, how many of you flicked through a news app over the weekend? I'm not talking TikTok news, by the way, like real, verified, three-party verification news. Yeah, how many of you? BBC, Times, Guardian, Telegraph, whatever. Great. Now, if you're anything like me, I'm not on social media um, because I love reality. Um, but <laughs> um, I am a news junkie. My addiction, it just goes in that direction. If you're anything like me, you find yourself with just a little bit of time on your hands, a short window, got nothing else to do, minutes max, I always find myself picking up my phone and flicking through the news. And whenever I do that, there's no sense of anticipation to it. I just pick up my phone. I'm not excited about what I'm about to read because there's so much heavy stuff that is going on in the world. I'm always a little bit kind of numbed out And so I just open up my phone, open up the app, and I just scroll through a bunch of articles to find an article that I am interested in. And I don't really care who wrote the article, but whenever I get to it, I don't take it all in. I just skim read it quickly to get through to the information that I need to make sense of what is going on. And after a couple of seconds, I bounce out of that article into another one, and the cycle continues. This same kind of way of reading, we used to do this whenever we were in school with textbooks. You never read the whole textbook unless you're a proper nerd, right? But if you're cramming for an exam, you just skim through it to get the information that you need. You gather it for yourself, you use it for an exam answer, and then you completely forget about it for the rest of your life, right? Our reading of absolutely anything, it is shaped and formed by our habits. And so whenever we come to the Bible, we tend to read it in exactly the same way that we would read through a news app or a textbook. We just want to get the information that we think that we need. So often our reading of the Bible comes down to five things. It is quick. We just need to get the information that we want as quickly as possible. It is selective. We handpick sections of scripture. We kind of lift them out. We pay little attention to the wider themes and movements that bind the whole story together. It is so often controlled as in we place ourselves in the position of control. We're the ones that choose what we read. We control the degree of interaction that we have with the text. And we set the terms and conditions for the impact that the text will have on us. Number four, our reading of the text is often analytical. Like a textbook, we read for information. We work out what it is that we need, the information that we need, and so we handpick it all, we discard bits, and we always read through the text with our filters of our wants, our perceptions, our beliefs, and our needs. And finally, our reading of the Bible is often just very functional. Like whenever something isn't working in your life, you pick up an instruction manual, you work out what's going on, And so often that is how we approach the Bible. We try to find spiritual solutions to problems that we're facing, and so we pick up the Bible. But once the solution comes, we often discard the instruction manual, right? Reading for information, I guess, is what I'm talking about here. It's so often how we approach the Bible. We read for information, and we do so very quickly. And that is one way to read the Bible. But there is a much better approach to this book, and that approach is intimacy, Now, this is going to really age me, all right? But if you really liked someone back in the day and you wanted to talk with them, you had four options. Number one, you actually met up with them and you talked to their face. 
Number two, you waited for that perfect moment whenever BT would drop their charges in the evening and then you would fight with your siblings to grab the landline. Number three, MSN Messenger. Yeah, am I right? Thank you for your service. Number four, you wrote letters to each other. Uh, If you're under the age of 25, let me explain. There were these things back in the day called letters, right? And you used to write them to each other, all right? Whenever you received, whether it was a love letter or a handwritten card from a friend or somebody that you really cared about, you never flicked through it like you would a news app. You never skim read through a love letter like you would a textbook. There was a sense of anticipation to it. You opened up the letter and you slowly read through it. You even read through it a couple of times. You took in every single word. You let it kind of sink in. The point of letters, love letters, letters between friends, it isn't to find out some useful information about someone, but it's to connect with them emotionally and respond to them in love. Letters back in the day, they weren't about information, they were about intimacy. And this book, the Bible, this is a book that draws upon all of the activity of God throughout human history, and it pulls it together into a love letter. A love letter which helps us connect with God to know him more intimately and fall more deeply in love with the word of God himself. Through this love letter, we find that God actually wants to speak personally to us. And so rather than using the Bible for our own means, we are to receive it, knowing that as we read this book, above all else, we get to connect with the one that we love. Church, at the start of this new year, I want to invite us to approach the Bible like you would a love letter. Because as you do that, your reading of this book will change. You can learn to read for relationship. Rather than just learning things about God, we can read to know him, to know him as we would know a lover or a friend. Or in the words of Ruth Haley Barton, you can learn to see the Bible primarily as a place of intimacy with God for our own soul's sake. Dietrich Bonhoeffer describes what it looks like to approach the Bible with the longing of a lover whenever he says this. The word of scripture should never sound, sorry, let me say it again, should never stop sounding in your ears and working in you all the day long, just like the words of someone that you love. And just as you do not analyze the words of someone you love, but accept them as they were said to you, accept the word of scripture and ponder it in your heart as Mary did, that is all. Do not ask, how shall I pass this on? But instead, what does it say to me? And then ponder this word long in your heart until it has gone right into you and taken possession of you. This is what we're going after together. This is what this daily rhythm is all about. Because reading the Bible, it can create conditions for us to encounter Jesus, to meet with him, to listen to him, to talk with him, and from this place, be transformed by him. Whenever we learn to read the Bible for intimacy, receptively approaching Jesus, listening out for what he is saying to us, we will graduate from a reading of the Bible that is all about our needs being met to a way of reading the Bible that centers on relationship. 
As he's being tempted in the wilderness, Jesus, who is starving, is approached by the tempter who says to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. The evil one knows that Jesus is hungry and says to him, hey, just meet your needs, Jesus. But then Jesus responds by saying that there is something much deeper, something way more valuable than your needs being met. For the thing that will sustain you, will satisfy your deepest hungers, it is relationship with God. And so Jesus responds to the tempter by saying this, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. For Jesus, relationship is the top priority. It is the burning center of life. For him, getting our needs met, it comes second. And yet we are formed by our age to flip the order and to approach pretty much everything with the question of what can I get out of this? And whenever we don't get what we want from something, then we instantly just chuck it away. I guess my question to us is, what if we flip the order back around? Because in the Jesus way, we are invited into an intimate and continuous interaction with the scriptures so that through the practice of reading the Bible, we can experience an intimate and continuous interaction with the Savior. If you've got your Bibles open or you need to open up again, please turn with me again to Mark chapter 12. Let's return back to the teaching text because I want to point something out to you. In Mark 12, Jesus is asked, what is the most important commandment, Rabbi? And he responds by saying, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. He mentions four things here, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let me give us some extra language to help us here. Whenever we think of heart, we're talking about what we love, what we're devoted to. Whenever we talk about soul, we're talking about our will, our desires, the things that we resolve within ourselves to go and do. Whenever we talk about mind, of course, we're thinking about our thinking, our understanding, our processing, our intellect. And when we're talking about strength, think actions, think techniques, think about the things that we do. Now here in Mark 12, Jesus is saying that we as his people, we are called, commanded even into a life of loving God. Yet whenever it comes to practicing that way of life, we stumble over it all of the time. And why? Because our starting point is in the wrong place. I want you to notice the order of things. Loving the Lord our God begins with the heart. The heart comes first, then soul, then mind, and then strength. But we so often kind of jumble up the order. First things don't always come first for us. So let me explain. So a fellow stands up at the front of church in early January. He's wearing a green work shirt. And he says, hey, the Bible's really important and we should all read it together. And you think, okay, cool, I'll do that. And so you go home and you download a Bible app and you start reading your Bible. And it's all going really well until things get really busy at work and then your kids get sick and there's other couple of things you get caught up in and then the rhythm just begins to slip. So often as disciples, we get so hooked on technique. We think that that is the point. And I think that we, if we can just get the right technique, then everything will be sorted. But here's the thing, strength and skills can't sustain any spiritual practice. I don't think that God is overly interested necessarily, or he doesn't really mind what app you use. He is much more interested in the approach that you take as you come before him. 
We so often, though, we place way more emphasis on the app as opposed to the approach, right? For some of us, the starting point for reading the Bible or any spiritual practice is our mind. We always obsess about thinking rightly. We want to have our doctrine in a nice, neat order, which is a good thing. We want to have all of our understanding to be sound, again, which is good. For some of us, we want to have all of our questions answered about God before we come and approach him. We think that the point of this book is learning lots of information about God, and so we feel restless in his presence. We don't really know him. We struggle to experience him. And so the practice of reading the Bible, we find it to be really hard, actually, because Well, it's a cold clinical practice like reading a textbook. It never works over the long haul. For others of us, whenever it comes to living as a disciple, we rely on our willpower. So often we resolve within ourselves to do something, to do the right thing. And so we force ourselves to be a good Christian by ticking all the religious boxes. And yet just like any New Year's resolution, we quickly realize that willpower, it is finite No matter how much we desire to see something happen or we push ourselves, willpower, it only gets us so far. We need something more. Whenever it comes to following Jesus, whenever it comes to any spiritual practice, whenever it comes to reading our Bibles, we will only ever get so far because we so often run to strength, mind, and soul. We think if I can get the right technique, if I can get my thoughts about God all lined up, or if I can force myself to do the right thing, then everything else will flow. But friends, technique, right thinking, religious duty, it will only ever get us so far, right? We have this burst of devotion and then things just begin to slip away all the time. It's like you're setting off on a long journey. And so you start off at the base camp of strength, mind, and soul. You gather all the resources from that base camp to set off on the journey. But as you get going, you only ever get so far. Why is that? Well, in Mark 12, Jesus teaches us the right order of things. As the writer of Proverbs would say, the heart, it is the wellspring of life. Everything flows from the heart. Emma and Eliza, my wife and my daughter, they have my heart. Therefore, all of my choices, all of my priorities, all of my actions, all of my thinking, they influence. They shape my life. The shape of my life and what I do with it, it flows from the starting point of my devotion to them as a husband and as a dad. Whenever God has compelled and captured our hearts Discipleship will be transformed from being just all right to being all flame. Because whenever we begin with love, whenever we begin with fidelity to God, everything else will fall like dominoes. Trying to establish a rhythm of reading the Bible or any spiritual practice through our technique, through our thinking and through our willpower alone, it will work in the short term, but it will eventually just fade out. But whenever we come to the Bible, with love and for love, knowing that by reading this practice we, or by reading this book, we will be able to interact with a loving personal God. That will sustain this practice for the long haul of our lives. To put it another way, for Jesus, our doing, it flows from our being. 
our techniques, our thinking, our willpower, the things that we do, they will flow easily whenever it begins with our being, who we are, our belovedness in Christ, our being comfortable in his presence. Our being in the loving gaze of the Father means that full of delight, we will do whatever we need to to be close to him. We struggle all of the time to establish discipleship habits because we don't begin with the heart. The things that we do are important and they will come later, but the starting point, it must be love. That is why here in Mark 12, Jesus couples these two commandments together because they are symbiotic, loving God and loving neighbor. It is impossible to love others in theory, right? You have to draw close to them. You can't love from a distance. Love is close. There's proximity to it. And loving God, just like loving neighbor, it is exactly the same. It is close, it is intimate, and it begins with our hearts. And that is why we need spiritual, sacred rhythms in the thick of our lives. Because they pull back the noise, the distraction, the demands of our days, and they invite us to open our eyes so that we are able to see that we are forever in the gaze of a loving God. Friends, I want to invite you to read this book as much as you can. But I want you to start from the heart because from this place, by reading this book, you will encounter a loving Lord. That is the point of the practice. By this and through this, you will experience love. You'll experience this interaction with the Redeemer You will experience reunion moments with him where you learn to rest in his presence. You will hear God speak to you. You will grow and you will change. Take it from me. Like I've been going to church since I was in the womb, right? I've grown up in and through church my entire life. This book means a lot to me. It's been a fixture of my life. Its themes and its stories have always been around me. But I grew up for years and years seeing this book as a way to learn things about God, believing that the more I knew, the holier I would become, right? Now, I grew up out of that unhelpful thinking. And I started to do things like this, help people through the Bible, teach them, I began to use it as a tool to serve other people. And that was it for me for a while. And yet in recent years, I've been humbled and I've come to see the Bible very, very differently. I've come to see that it has got less to do with what I read and more to do with how I read that truly counts. I've learned to slow down my thinking and my reading, anticipating that God will speak to me. I've learned to read this book as a charismatic believing that the word of God and the spirit of God comes together. More than anything, I read this book because I want to be near God. I want to hear him. I want to listen to him. I want to be close to him. That is why I read this book. I read this book to hear his voice, to draw close to him, to be drawn into the company and the conversation of Christ. Eugene Peterson puts it like this. God does not make speeches. He enters conversations and we are partners to that conversation. And so in the next few weeks, in different spaces across our church, we're going to introduce to you 
a way of reading the Bible that is all about intimacy and it's not necessarily just about information. Based upon the way that the desert mothers and fathers read the Bible and based on the teachings of Karl Barth, we're going to equip you with the practice of Lectio Divina or divine reading. It's a way of prayerfully reading the Bible that opens us up to the voice of God, seeing word and spirit come together. And through four really simple practices of resting, reading, reflecting, and responding, we want to teach you to listen out for the voice of Jesus as you read this book every single day, asking good questions like, God, what are you saying to me? And what am I gonna do about it? (coughs) At the heart of this book, And the heart of this practice, it is all about simply the joy of being together. That's what this is all about. Because at the heart of all loving relationships, it's not about a return on investment, but simply the joy of being together. The secret of the best relationships, the secret of the best friendships, is not how useful you are to each other, but how much time you can waste together, right? And we're going to talk about this next week. We're going to walk through this practice together. But the practice of reading the Bible, it is often a pathway into the presence of God. It draws us into conversation with him. That is the point of the practice. Because the practice in and of itself, it is not the point. The practice is a portal. It is a pathway that leads us into the loving presence of God. That is the point. The practice, reading the Bible, it just helps us get there. The point of this practice, it is intimacy. It is presence. It is listening out for the voice of our loving Lord as he speaks to us. And trust me, friends, he will. I wanna invite the band up. And if you're able, can I invite you to stand with me as we come to respond? This is just the introduction to the invitation around this practice. I'm gonna be teaching more into it next week. We're gonna be doing this together in tribes. We've got workshops that are available for you and the practice guides are available for you to pick up today. But friends, I know I'm repeating myself, but I I want to be really clear. The practice in and of itself, it is not the point. The practice leads us into the loving presence of God. That is the point. And here today, I am to encourage you to read your Bible, of course. But today I really wanna get to the point. And the point, it is experiencing the expansive love of God. Us learning to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. I'm learning, I'm learning to see that God's life, it is all invitation. And that our lives, the disciples' life, it is to be all response response to that love. I've shared this before, but I want to share it again at the start of a new year. A.W. Tozer said this, the degree of fullness in any life accords perfectly with the intensity of true desire. Basically, if you want to live a full life, desire the right things. And then he says this, we have as much of God as we actually want. God's life is all invitation. Our life is to be all response. God has given himself fully to us. He has given us himself in abundance. And it sounds wrong to say it at first, but I believe this to be true. We can have as much of God as we want. 
we can have as much of God as we actually want. And so the question that I want to put to you at the start of a new year is how much of God do you want? How much of him do you want? How much of him do you want for your families? How much of him do you want for your friendship? How much of him do you want for the things that are burdening you and stressing you out right now? How much of God do you want for your neighborhood and for your community? How much of God do you want? Because here's the thing, you can have as much of him as you desire. How much of him do you want? More of him is available to you. All you need to do is respond. Full of desire, center your lives upon him. Be with him, spend time with him. As I've been praying for you over the past couple of weeks, I've kept coming back to a really, really simple picture. We have an open fire in our house and Emma's best mate was back over from Toronto this week and so Rach and Emma, Eliza and I were in our kitchen and we had the fire lit but we had left it for a couple of hours we were just kind of hanging out and sharing some food together. Whenever I came back into the fire, it, was, it wasn't completely out. There were dying embers but there wasn't a ton of flame to it. And I, I, this, it's reminded me of this picture that I've been kind of wrestling with and it's, I guess, what I want to lead us in today. Because in the picture, I just sense the spirit of God. He just hunkers down, positions himself rightly and just blows into the dying embers so that actually they begin to become inflamed once again. And today... I believe that that is what the Lord is wanting to do with some of us. I believe that that is what the shape of our year is going to be. That where we have left the fire, we've kind of let things die down. There's still desire and there's still longing there, but actually what we need is the breath of God to come and to set us on flame once again. Friends, you can have as much of God as you want. The question is, how much of him do you want? How much of him do you want? And as I ask that question, if you within yourself, your heart is just crying out more, more. I want more. We wanna pray for you today. We wanna pray for you at the start of a new year. If you are here today and you're wanting more of God, we want to invite you to respond, to move your relationship from God, from just being like wishful thinking to instead being full of desire, we want to invite you to receive some prayer. And we're gonna ask you to come to the front because so often it's really helpful for us to physically do something that we're longing to see happen within ourselves. And there's nothing special about this place up here. We're gonna pray for you. I know we joke about a holy rug, but you know what I mean? But we want to just pray for you because up here there are people that will love you and care for you, people that have been following Jesus for a long time and they would love to be able to pray for you, to pray that the spirit of God would take your heart and set it on flame once again. And so can I invite any current tribe leaders, any compass students, any of our staff team or any of our HOTS team just to come to the front right now and quickly to just pray for some people. If you're free to do that, can I invite you to come forward?